Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to the HP Podcast, your weekly gaming podcast from, well, today, that's just two of your favorite, most handsome men ever. Mm-hmm. I'm Ben. With me here is Dave. Dave? Howdy. Howdy. Dave, it's interesting. You're much, like, I can hear you much better than I can on our other setup in Dustin's studio. So maybe his studio is just dog shit. Yeah, I, I've changed nothing. Yeah. Um, you've changed many things. So I think whatever the the increase in quality is, is probably on your end. It could just be like a um, like uh, an energy kind of thing. Um, it could be I, that. I, I've been in that 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 dank area that you guys call a recording studio at, at yeah. Dustin's place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it's there's some bad juju in there. So you're yeah. in a, you're in a much nicer place. You ha- you mentioned that maybe the improvements were on my end, and I will say that a lot of people have told me um, on my back end doesn't need any improvements. So, well, yeah, that's that's, that was that's a, true. I think that was I a could... butt joke. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm you you are you are packing. If I had this. said it like a minute earlier before you were like done, if I had just like cut in, it probably would have been. This is uh, how not to improv for everyone out there. The I weekly think... show. No, that was my fault. That was my fault. Your, your delivery was perfect. It was just me. <laughs> Discord will confirm, I promise. <laughs> I've also been told that... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's always somebody else's fault, not mine. That's, that's, that's the goal. Dave, we got um, a weird week this week. We got some, like... There's some announcements that are, like, you know, industry shakers. But uh, there's other stuff that's, like like there's nothing else happening and it's been a weird year entirely because some, like it's either we have so much news or no news but before we even touch on the news how's dave's life in canada oh is she she's going bud uh she's the going? nhl uh hockey season is in full swing oh, i actually yeah. i actually have a game on in front of me right now because nice. uh that's that's just what we do up here what um, game is it it's dallas and boston in okay. Boston, yeah. so I I have no interest in either of these teams, but I, I'm sure. sick of watching Twitch all day. So, uh, mm. so yeah, it's nice. I'm watching hockey. Um, I've I've been enjoying a lot of uh, autumn cuisine, uh, uh-huh. as it were. You know, some some uh, tomato soups and and squash, and we we carved a pumpkin on the weekend, and I I roasted the seeds. So that's very autumn y, I guess. Yeah. yeah, that is. I agree. Now, when you talk about soup, now this is a whole thing. And I, I found out after I came to this conclusion, or I probably knew it before and just forgot. There was a whole bit on Seinfeld about it. I'm not even referencing that. I'm just saying, like, is soup a meal? Um, on its own, no. Like, if I'm having a soup, I need it with, like, I had a, a bowl of soup for dinner last night. It was, like, leftover tomato soup that I just mentioned. But I had to have, like, two big pieces of buttered bread with it. Yes. Um, without that, it would have just been, like, a drink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there I, is, there is, there is a kind of soup that I consider, uh, an excellent meal just on its own. And that's pho, the Vietnamese, or the, oh, is, yeah. is it Vietnamese? 
Um, I believe it's it's definitely from that region of yeah. the world. Yeah, uh, that and that that's like a regular thing that my wife and I go out and eat, and it's it's cheap, it's hearty, it's got a lot of stuff in it. So I think once you get into like stew territory, yeah, yeah. then it's it's a different discussion. But I think if you're just talking about like a broth, it's no, no way, absolutely not. Well, about maybe like close to I don't know a year or so ago, I tweeted that soup is not a meal, and. I have never generated so much hate from people that I do not know. And by that, I mean, (laughs) like I had like 65 year old men in my tweets that don't even follow me for some reason responding to my tweet about soup being a meal. And they were all telling me about like, well, in in this country, there's this yada, 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 and it's 2000 calories a bowl. And it's certainly a meal. And I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying soup is not a meal. I'm not saying you're. You, you put an entire roaster full of vegetables and, and meat in some broth. That's a meal. Sure. In, in a liquid form or a liquid base. I'm saying like when you think about like chicken noodle soup or tomato soup or any of the normal soups that they sell in a can from Campbell's chunky. That's not a meal. Yeah. Of all the things to go viral for, there you go. Now, maybe it was, it was the, that's that's the craziest part. It wasn't <laughs> even viral. There were like only maybe one or two retweets, and they were very small, you know, uh, individuals. Like their their following was very small. So I don't even know how these people found me. It's like they had. It's like the sixty five year old white man fan club of soup has a, a Twitter search that they just hit enter on every morning, and if they see an opinion they disagree on, they just attack the person. That's what happened to me. Or is it all the same profile picture of the guy in his truck with the sunglasses on and, and the hat? Like, you know, it's, it's always the same angry, angry <laughs> yeah. old white guys. No, but I, I wish it was. So the, the problem with this argument is, is there isn't a clear delineation between like a soup yeah. and like, again, what I just said, what I can, would consider a stew where it's broth which, with a bunch of shit in it. Right. Because um, like you mentioned something like chicken noodle soup there, that can be very, very light or it can be heavy. And then yeah. you have something like a French onion soup, which is covered in cheese and always served with uh, bread. I mean, it's it's, if it's a weird subject. Really if, you're t- if, you're, if it's a true soup, then it's not a meal. If it's a uh, watery chicken and noodle combination, then it's soup or the, then it's a meal. I mean, that's fine. Right. Right. You know, like that's more like a casserole yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. we settled that debate. I was really I was really coming into this conversation thinking you were going to disagree with me. Uh, so I'm really happy to know that you didn't. Because me of all people was going to say that soup can be considered a meal. No, I, I mean, I didn't really think about it that much. Quite honestly, I said it out of nowhere, but I thought like it would create, you know, it would generate a disagreement. And that would be entertaining. Oh man, but. I'm I'm on your side on this one. I'm sure Discord might uh, might have a little bit more input, but um, Discord yeah. doesn't know what the hell they're talking about most of the time. <laughs> that's that's the no, truth. No comment. I'll just laugh at that one. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the news. We've got a few pieces here that are interesting. The first one, Dave. I kind of wanted to touch on this. I know you're not a huge PC gamer, although you've dabbled for sure. But uh, according to GameLuster.com and many other places. Quote, Steam is doing very well at the moment with plenty of triple great AAA titles and indie games, as well as a bunch of PlayStation ports over the past year. Steam just hit its highest ever concurrent user count as of today. And this was posted uh, two days ago. So as of Sunday, the record was set at 30,000, no, 30 million, 32,005 users. Data comes from Steam database, which tracks Steam users online. And at 2.20 p.m. UTC, on Sunday, the service hit its new high, passing the record of 29.99 million on April 3rd. Now, Dave, this is there's a lot of angles to go here, but the first one is why Sunday? Why this past Sunday? Like, did any, nothing big came out really? Did it? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think this is just a sign of healthy growth. I don't know if there's there's any reason why it just happened to be um, this time. If this was like a couple of weeks from now, when you know, we're talking about Call of Duty and and uh, you know a couple other things. Then that would make sense. But um, yeah, I mean, this is this is cool to see. Um, I there was a time when I was looking at the amount of competitors that were entering the PC games launcher space. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and I was really starting to you know 
have a bit of an aneurysm about all this because I thought like how many different launchers am I going to need on my PC like at some point it's going to be Steam um, there's going to be Epic's Game Store there's going to be EA Play there's going to be Ubisoft's launcher um, but you know it's this this market has been fairly competitive for the past five years or so but Steam just has remained dominant um, one of the things that I think is important that comes out of this, this article here is um, this little graph they present with because if you install Steam once, whether it was 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago, mm-hmm. Steam is going to live on your computer and it's going to launch a startup unless you change that or unless you uninstall it. So yeah. this 30 million number is like Steam opening on somebody's computer. Sure, so, yeah, absolutely. For, but th- the thing I like about this is they, they've provided um, – a corresponding number of like in-game users. So it's actually saying these are active Steam users at the time. Right. And I think it peaked around like 10 million, but it's showing just as positive growth. So, you know, yeah. these numbers aren't being skewed by people who just have the um, launcher sort of installed there. But it, it's nice to see that, you know, Steam has remained dominant and I hope the growth continues because I only ever want to have one launcher. Um, right. So yeah, this is this is cool. I like to see this a lot. You know what's, what's the most crazy part about this is Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Counter-Strike Global Offensive had the top spot with a peak player count of one over a million on that day. Wow. And then if you add up Dota 2 and PUBG combined, that's over a million as well. Wow. That's three games sucking up 10% of their overall user online users that day. Or during that moment, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave, you mentioned Call of Duty, and it just occurred to me that Call of Duty is on Steam for the first time in a long time. And the beta came out, for, or not the beta, the campaign was released on Friday or Thursday. So maybe that did contribute to over the weekend usage. Yeah, yeah, that definitely could have been it, big time. I yeah. mean, and, and another thing to kind of think about here is, is um, again, if you go back you know, five, 10 years. I think this, this article actually goes back to 2008 or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, like sure. Counter-Strike was around, but the popularity of, of, you know, battle Royale games and MMOs is just kind of skyrocketed. So um, things have really kind of played into steam's hands. Um, but like, can, can we get half-life two episode three now like no no definitely not look how good you're doing man you've got got the valve index too and and the steam deck and stuff can can we just get some more half-life alex was cool but i don't play vr games so right i just i, I just want like a three-hour expansion you know the episode you're not even three. asking for half-life three here you're no, just asking just, for just, just yeah. episode three is all i need and you know we'll, we'll start there but uh it is really any- fascinating because steam like, what else do they spend their money on? I, I know there's projects in the background we don't know about. You know, I know they're paying for hardware to be developed at different points. Of course, they have the Steam Deck. That certainly contributed to the massive amounts of users as well, because people yeah. who would never get on Steam are on Steam now. Um, but you've got the Steam Deck. In the past, they did the Steam Link. Uh, they've got the, the, the VR. So, like, they've got people also working on technology and stuff like that so they're spending money on that but like it doesn't they don't really seem to have any output other than their game loader yeah i mean they they literally are like a retailer now um yeah and that's it and and i think when when steam launched as as a launcher I think people just kind of assumed it was going to operate the same way that EA Play and and the Ubisoft launcher does now, where it's just going to launch those Valve games, but they just stopped coming. Right. <laughs> so they're yeah. they're literally like the target of of PC gaming. Like they're just there to sell other people's stuff, and and I'm sure there's a lot of R and D and stuff that kind of goes into kind of like Xbox. Yeah, maintaining something <laughs> like that, but it's it's just I don't know. It's um. But I mean, this is good growth. And again, I'm glad to see that they're dominating, even though there's so much uh, competition out there, because I only want one launcher. I just want one. So far, that's yeah. all I needed. So yeah. I don't really care about how many launchers I have. I know that's been a hotly contested thing. It is nice to only have one, but it doesn't bother me. But didn't um, GOG put out some kind of program a couple of years ago that I, I, I don't know if you could launch everything from it, but you could definitely like see what platforms you had it on. And I used that for a little while and then I realized it was taking up a ton of system resources and I just deleted right. it because I didn't care anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, it can, it can get tricky. And again, I, I'm not, I'm not the hardest core of, of PC gamers, but um, I mean, the other thing is, is, you know, Epic tried and I, I assume they're still doing the, the free games every month. Um, yeah, they are. I don't believe steam is doing anything like that. Um, and we're still seeing this trajectory. I'd love to see Epic's growth, but at the same time, you know, that just kind of goes to show how successful they've actually been. They don't have to give anything away free once a month where Epic's doing that. That's and, true. You know, I, I, I think the big splash they made with that was Grand Theft Auto and yeah. uh, past that. I think I went in to get like Remnant from the Ashes and I played that game quite, quite a bit. But personally, I haven't found another reason to go in and, and, and use Epic except the other the other week when we were playing Ghostbusters. But yeah, yeah, there's there's a few games I have that I play on there. And sometimes a game comes out there and they have a deal and it's a little cheaper. I pretty much use it as a convenience or a necessity, not because I like I guess that's every honestly, that's every store for me. It's like this is a tool to play what I want to play. And if it happens to be on that service, that's where I'm going to play it. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if they've ever if they've ever really gotten any of my money other than like from Fortnite or something in the past. Yeah. And the, 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 where I do do quite a bit of PC gaming is in the indie space. And for yeah, me, the yeah. perception is, is if I want to go somewhere to play a cool and interesting indie, it's going to be Steam. Yeah. And and they've done really well in um, they just actually a couple of weeks ago did their um, it was like an indie fest. I, yeah. They do it every year where they have a whole bunch of demos that come mm-hmm. up for for new indie games. And I think that's a great way to not only engage gamers in in games they haven't heard of before, but it keeps the people who are actually making the games more likely to want to come to your store. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think they do great in the indie space as well. Nice. I agree. All right, Dave, on to something I think you're excited to talk about. There was a big resident evil showcase last week. I thought I think on Thursday and uh, this article comes from Kotaku. It says everything we saw at the Re- resident evil showcase and just a little bit of behind the scenes. I knew about this stuff and Dave knew it off the top of his head, but I still was like, I gotta find the freaking article because I can't remember anything when I'm talking. So here it is. Dave, first we got a new trailer for the Winter's expansion. And of course, this is a DLC expansion for Resident Evil Village. Now, did you, you played Village, right? I have not played Village yet. No. Okay, that was Brandon that played Village. Oh, by yeah, the way, correct. for anybody wondering, Brandon is uh, he's feeling a little under the weather today, so he, he took the night off, which is which is good. We hope he gets better soon. I, d- I just realized I didn't even explain why he wasn't here. He, you know, maybe we fired him. Who knows? He'd deserve it, probably. So this uh, DLC involves a new narrative campaign starring Ethan's daughter, Rose. The developers also shared some more background on Rose and why they decided to make her the star of the new trilogy. It can be part, bought as part of a larger uh, package, the Resident Evil Village Gold Edition package, or it can be bought separately. It also, this is interesting, includes a new third-person mode for the main campaign, Dave, I, like you said, we haven't played, neither one of us have played Village yet, but uh, how do you feel about third person in Resident Evil? I, I'll be honest, when I, when I watched the showcase and I saw the, the third person thing, I thought to myself, who asked for this? Because I, I always thought the whole reason that we had a bit of a course correction with Resident Evil 7 to the first person was to really kind of connect the player with the horror um, and avoid the mistakes that were made with with five and six, where it went to action. Right. Um, but the more I kind of watched the showcase, they started to. I'm sure there are other reasons, but I know one of the reasons is because um, the 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 first person can be too intense for some people. So this yeah. was a way to yeah. kind of disconnect the player a little bit with with some of the horror, but still kind of enjoy what was going on. I think it's a good fit for Resident Evil Village because um for what I understand Village is a little bit more um action leaning rather than than horror like seven was. So mm-hmm. um this isn't something that really appeals to me, but I did think it was nice that they were doing this. And on the flip side, they've got the VR part coming out. So right. it's like, if you really want to be scared shitless, then go VR. If you're a bit of a pussy like me, then you can go third person. So it was right. nice that they had two sides of that coin. <laughs> and then there. if you're in the middle, there's just the regular game. Exactly. You yeah. got it. You got it. Resident Evil Reverse. Uh, this was an announced a long time ago and then they delayed it. Uh, but Resident Evil Reverse is coming out uh, for everyone, but it's going to be free for anybody who ro- who owns Village, uh, whether it's the regular game or the gold edition. And it'll have crossplay, of course, and everything like that. It's a shooter. 
um, by the way, if I didn't mention that. And they are, they said they are planning on updating it, uh, quote, multiple times. So I, I don't know if it's going to have legs and I don't really know how much of a desire there is for a Resident Evil shooter as far as like a multiplayer shooter, but we'll see. It's going to have a pre-launch period. I'm sure haven't, we'll hear some stuff haven't they tried this like four or five times already? And yes, just like not the, for a while. I just, I don't know. Maybe these have been successful, but I've, I, I've seen these like, action like add-ons like umbrella core and stuff like that be announced or like announced for resident evil titles as again they're add-ons but i never see them really kind of kick off the way i think capcom wants them to but they seem to keep going to the well on the it's just a really weird choice they must they must have samplings or or numbers that show there's I mean, it must be profitable in some way for them to do it. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Reverse in particular, they, it probably would have gotten canned, but they promised it so long ago that they had to follow it through. Right. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, Dave, this is going to really excite you. <coughs> Resident Evil Village is coming to Mac. That's not the part. The part is <laughs> that some past games are coming to the Nintendo Switch via cloud versions. Oh, my God. Here we yeah, go. So we're getting uh, cloud versions of Evil uh, Resident Evil Village. Uh, 7, RE2 Remake, and RE3 Remake all coming to the Switch. Now, Dave, and this is just a joke at this point, guys, but <laughs> what do you? How, how do you feel about the cloud versions at all on the Switch? Uh, I've never tried them personally, but um, my experience with Resident Evil 2 uh, Remake about a year and a half ago, just I, I would not want to touch a game like that on the Switch because even though, you know, both um, 2 and 3 Remake are a couple of years old now, they still look fantastic. And yeah. you really want to play them on the best hardware that you have. Um, because man, they, they're really, really good looking games. And and I think, you know, the lighting effects and the sound and stuff like that, um, it's really part of sort of that horror experience. So yeah, I, I wouldn't touch it on the switch. It would, yeah. it would, it would definitely be a PlayStation thing for me. Well, uh, I will know that they will all have demos. So you can make sure that the cloud version runs okay on your internet connection, Dave. I'm not interested. Okay. No. No, I've, I've turned a corner, fellas. It's his first party or nothing for me on, on, on the Switch. Yeah. All right. On to the big news, the actual big news. Gameplay of Resident Evil 4 Remake, and they opened up pre-orders. Now, I'm pretty certain that we've known about this, whether through official or unofficial means for a long time. But uh, we finally get to see everything officially. We get some gameplay. Uh, in the footage, we see a reimagined opening section of Resident Evil 4. Dave, have you played Resident Evil 4? Yeah, I, okay. I played it on GameCube, like, way back in the day. Did you say GameCube? Um, GameCube. GameCube. <laughs> I thought you said GameCube. <laughs> no, the reason I'm saying that is because, I don't know, I, I bought a GameCube for this game, okay. and I, I don't know how many people actually played it on the GameCube because it did eventually come to PlayStation 2 and then everything else. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's I. what I love about this game is just that it was at one point in time, like it's it's regarded as the best yes. Resident Evil game in the entire franchise. And this is a very revered franchise. Um, and I just, it boggles my mind that this thing was a GameCube exclusive for a long time. <laughs> so yeah, I played it on the GameCube. The crazy part to me, I didn't I didn't catch it on GameCube, but when they ported it to the Wii, that's the first time I ever played RE4. And I remember thinking, like, this game is amazing. And I didn't really know anything about it. So I bought my I had bought my GameCube from a buddy who, or I'm sorry, my Wii from a buddy who didn't want it anymore because he bought it because it was like brand new and you know you couldn't get them. So he went ahead and got it when he saw it in the store. And then he was like, I actually don't want this. So I bought it from him and it came with a few games, and that was one of them. And I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And I was like, oh wow. Okay, this is a really good game. And then I've since played it multiple times on other platforms. Definitely never went back to the Wii to play it, even though that is a good port. Uh, but yeah, the the new game or the new uh, the remake looks it just looks fantastic. Yeah, uh, you know Leon out there talking to talking to people about killing cows and uh, jumping out of windows and shit. Like I don't know, I I have I, I still haven't gone back and played RE2 remake or RE3 remake. And I haven't played seven. I haven't played village. 
but I feel like I'm definitely going to have to play four because that's the one I have like the iconic memory of. Yeah. Big time. And I think that's what I was missing from Resident Evil 2 remake is I didn't play the original. Yeah. Uh, I played like the very first Resident Evil, but not the second one. Um, so having that kind of core memory from this franchise um, and actually going out and buying a console to play this game, I think this is this is something I'm really, really going to like. And um, there are those reimaginings too, because you know, I we all remember the opening sequence. We all remember you know fighting some of the bosses in the game and and stuff like that. And I think what's what's going to be nice is seeing the little differences um, here and there, because yeah. um, as we know, things can change somewhat. So, uh, but in any case, we've seen it with RE2, uh, RE3 remake, and now. RE4, like they're really putting all the stops in for this. This is a remake. So uh, coming yeah. off a year where we where we had the Grand Theft Auto trilogy, um, this is going to be nice. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We hope big time, big time. We hope, yeah. I also really like. I I I made a funny joke in the Discord and nobody responded. Maybe it wasn't that funny, but there was the scene where the he he ran through the the uh, the barn and there was a bull there. And he shot the fucking lantern above the bull. Yeah. And it, it hit the bull and the bull went on fire and ran away. And I was like, hey, it's Blazing Bull from Sekiro. <laughs> I was like, that was like, I thought he was like, I, I didn't see that coming. But anyways, it was, yeah. uh, it was, it was funny. But uh, yeah, lots of cool detail in that. And I'm really looking forward to it. And one other thing that kind of bothered me um, is, is, Every once in a while, I see a limited edition or like a, a special edition of a game, you know, that comes with a statue. And I'm like, right. that is $250, $300 for something I'll think looks cool for 10 minutes and then I'll just forget it's even there. But right. I want it. I really want it. Yeah. But the problem is, is, is this is an all digital gaming household that I'm sitting in here, Ben. So yeah. I would have to buy that and then buy a digital version of the game separately. Um I, I kind of wish it had like a pack in with like a digital code. They don't do that, do they? Yeah, that's what most of them are doing now. They are doing it. Okay, I, I don't have know. A feeling so, that was so the just case. to clarify, I don't know if they're doing it for this game. Okay, I, I'm going to need to check that because I I, I I would spend an unreasonable amount of money on that statue and in that collector's edition. So, well, here's uh, the really weird thing, Dave, is that God of War Ragnarok has a uh, special edition coming out, and, and this is not the first game to do it by any means, but it's you know the the biggest one probably. And it has a special edition that's going to come with like the hammer and some other little trinkets and stuff. And it's coming with a digital code, which, you know, would be fine. Then people can decide like if they want to go out and spend $70 or if they want to uh, use the digital, like people can, they're not building them into the price of the bundle, but it comes with a steel case. Is that weird that a, that a game that's a digital code would come with a steel case? Um. Yeah, I can see how it is, but I think it's nice that they're appealing to again people like me who maybe want that thing on their yeah. mantle, but have nothing to do with a disc, right? Um, and it's also a great way to make an extra money for something that probably costs two dollars to make, right? Um, so they see that as well. But yeah, it's it is a bit odd, but I I see the advantages to it. Yeah, for me, I I. I'm planning on, uh, I have the special edition ordered for God of War and I'm still planning on getting the, um, the disc. Okay. So actually buying it and then probably, you know, selling the code or something. So you must be excited, sir. Uh, I am. I, I, I do love me some God of War for sure. Yeah. Dave, another remake, another two remake. No, that was a four remake. Silent Hill two, <laughs> uh, is announced being remade, coming to PS five and PC. Konami has picked up Bloober Team for some reason. We'll talk about that more. Uh, but Polygon reports that Konami is bringing Silent Hill 2, widely regarded as the best entry in the psychological horror game franchise, to modern platforms with a new remake. Silent Hill 2 is coming to PlayStation 5 and Windows PC, Konami announced Wednesday during its Silent Hill transmission live stream. Silent Hill 2 remake appears to be a top-to-bottom recreation of the game, as revealed by a debut trailer that showcased highly detailed graphics, new voiceover work, and new music. The remake will also feature a new over-the-shoulder camera perspective. Original Silent Hill composer Akira Yama, Yamaoka and I'm not even going to pr- try to pronounce the artist's name are collaborating to remake the game. Uh, Dave, you're not a Silent Hill guy either. I've only ever played the first one. And I was saying on Defining Duke last week uh, when I was on there that 
I've never played it. And I've been thinking like, I need to play Silent Hill too. And I'm like, at this point, I might as well just wait and play the remake. Like, is there any point for me to go back and play the original when I've never played it before? Not necessarily. Um, I think, I think if you've got like some experience with the franchise, like as you have with Silent Hill one, I think it might be nice to kind of go and complete, like at least play the second one. So you can see you have more respect for what the remake is all about. As Mm -hmm. I said, with, you know, Resident Evil two and three, where I hadn't played the original. So I think if you got the time to at least check it out, I think it can definitely enhance a remake experience. So, um, but not necessary, not necessary. Yeah. I, I oftentimes want, like, I think it's good to play the originals, but with this game, because I don't really have that much of an attachment to it. Like I played Silent Hill and I don't know, I don't even know what year that was, but probably the year it came out. And I don't really have any attachment to Silent Hill too. I remember wanting it at the time, but I didn't, I couldn't afford it cause I was, you know, younger, uh, much younger. <laughs> and I just never played it. So I don't know. Maybe I will. I, I have the time. It's just a matter of the, the uh, ambition, I suppose. Yeah. I, it always struck me as a poor man's Resident Evil. I don't know if that's a fair assessment because I've never played it, but I'm, I, I think, think a lot of people would be upset by that. Okay. Yeah. And that was I'm my second point, which is, which is I'm pretty sure there are diehard silent people, silent hill people out there um, who are going to be really excited about this. And, and maybe they look down at Resident Evil in that franchise. But uh, at the very least, I know they're, they're incorporating Bloober team into this, but it's nice to see Konami is doing something to please fans. Um, Cause it's been a while. It's really yeah. been a while for Konami. For sure. And for Silent Hill fans. Yeah, big time. There's, they announced some other stuff to do with Silent Hill, uh, but I don't care about it, so I'm not talking about it. Is that fair? You think that's fair? I'm I'm fine with this. The hardcore people that I just offended might might not think so, but uh okay. you can you can speak your mind later. <laughs> if you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Netflix is considering pushing into cloud gaming. This comes from Kit Guru. They told me I'm using an ad blocker, which is true. Uh, Netflix has been building up its own games business for a year now. The company has acquired and started some new game studios and brought a selection of titles to its streaming service. In the future, Netflix may venture further with cloud gaming offering, taking lessons from Google's issues with getting Stadia off the grounds. This week at TechCrunch Disrupt, Netflix VP of Gaming Mike Verdu spoke on the subject of cloud gaming and growing Netflix's gaming content offerings. According to Verdu, cloud gaming should be treated as a value add and not a console replacement, with the hope that over time it becomes a natural part of how people play games on a day-to-day basis. He's also taken note of Google's struggles with Stadia, saying that while their service may have been successful on the technical side, it had big issues with the business model. With that in mind, we can expect that any Netflix cloud gaming offering would not ask you to buy full price games. Instead, we would see a continuation of their subscription model. Dave, is Netflix finally going to get cloud gaming right? I think if if anybody's going to get it right, I think number one, Netflix is is taking the right approach here, which Mr. Voodoo just just, you know, you just pointed out, he said cloud gaming should be a complement, not a replacement to console gaming. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's the right approach to take. Yeah. Um, the other reason why I think they could potentially um, do this right compared to um, Stadia from Google and Luna from Amazon, which I don't even know where that thing is, but um, is is the install base that they have. And I, I realize that everybody has Google in their home right now in, in one way or another, but sure. in most cases, it's sitting on a phone or it's sitting in a computer. Whereas I think the gaming experience that Netflix is going to try and cultivate is on the TV. 
And where does Netflix right. live on on millions of households in North America? It's on the TV. So they already have that install base. Um, so I think that's something else that can make them successful. Um, a couple of weeks ago when it was announced that Stadia was shutting down, we talked about how maybe Stadia had the right idea, but was just a few years too early. Uh-huh. Um, I think the way Netflix is talking, this is several years away. Um, so, you know, I think maybe they have a, bit of a better footing on the timing as well. Um, So for those three reasons, I think Netflix could potentially be the ones to get this right, um, or at least scratch the surface the way that Amazon and and Google haven't been able to. Um, But I, you know, there's still a lot that needs to happen to, to kind of for this to work out in Netflix's fortune, but it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Cause I think, you know, if I just turn my TV on to Netflix, like I do at least once a day um, and there was a gaming option just sitting there for me, I would, I would be interested in checking it out because I've already got the subscription sure. to do anything different. It's probably going to work with some Bluetooth controller that I, and again, millions of other households around North America have lying around their house. So um, it's something I'd check out. So, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, um, it's encouraging that not only have they said the things about it being an addition, not a replacement that they've bought their own studios and acquired some and and they're, they're making some not from the sense that they're like investing in it. Yeah, that's important. But from the sense that they're developing this for streaming, they're not putting console games or PC games on a streaming service such as X clouds doing, or like stadium was doing, but these games you would hope are being developed from the ground up to be running on on streaming. And maybe that's not the type of games I prefer to play. But if I like get done watching a show and I'm not ready to go to bed or something like that, and I just have to scroll over and click like this game, then spend half an hour in it or whatever, like that is appealing to me. Yeah. I don't think it's something I would pay more money for if that's what they wanted, but if they just added as part of the subscription, like they've done thus far, then it's certainly appealing because who doesn't want more for the same amount of money? As long as it doesn't hurt the, the overall product. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, if, if they really go all in on this and, and they are building things from the ground up and if there's something that, and I, you know, I just talked about GameCube and Resident Evil 4. I went out and bought a GameCube because that's what I needed to play Resident Evil 4. There was something on like a Netflix streaming service where I had to have that upgraded gaming Netflix service in order to play it because it looked that good. It looked that cutting edge. It looked that interesting. Then um, I'd be willing to do it. The problem with Stadia, it was it was just inferior versions of other games I could already get other places. So yeah. um, I think if you're able to separate yourself in the market like that, then people will have a look. They really will. So sure. yeah. we'll see what their approach is. Agreed. Okay, Fallout 4 is getting an upgrade. Uh, it's going to be free next year for PS5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC. Twinfinite says today, Bethesda, this was a couple days ago, Bethesda had an announcement to share that will certainly please Fallout 4 fans who have a PC, PS5, Xbox Series X or S. While celebrating its 25th anniversary of the franchise, the developer revealed that it will release a next-gen update for the new consoles and Windows in 2023. Regardless of the fact that it's about time we start calling the current generation by its name, as it hasn't been next for years now, the update will include performance mode features for high frame rates, quality features for 4K resolution gameplay, bug fixes, and even bonus creation club content. So we don't have an exact date for this. Uh, Fallout 4 came out in 2015 for PS4 and Xbox One. I got it for Xbox One at the time, I believe. Yes, that's what I got it for. Dave, um, Fallout 4 update. Good stuff. This is nice. It's a a free update. But for the 25th anniversary, I was really expecting something else for Fallout. Yeah, that's a good point. It's... um... It's a little bit of a, of a whimper. I, when I saw this news, I thought, okay, are, are we this much closer to actually getting a last-gen update to Fallout 76? No, um, absolutely not. <laughs> that game still doesn't work. But um, it's something. I like that it's free. Maybe there's more coming. Um, 
I know they're kind of busy with that other game right now um, that that's coming pretty soon. But um, when Fallout runs really, really well, it's it's a really good game. The problem is, is Fallout games rarely run well or it takes a long time and a lot of patching and updates for them to run well. So I spent about. 10, 15 hours in Fallout 4, and I uh, put it aside for among some of the reasons where I just I didn't like the way it ran and it was a bit buggy and stuff like that. Um, but I think about this game a lot because I know it's it's probably the best Fallout experience you can get right now because we know you know what happened with seventy six. Right. Um, so this is probably going to make me want to pick it up again when it does come out. This update. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. It, it would have been nice to to get a little bit more, but I, I totally understand why this may be it. But again, there, there, there could be something else. There could be something else. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they haven't announced everything yet, potentially. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for this, except for the fact that I have Fallout 4 physically for the Xbox One, and I only have a Series S, which we're going to talk about the Series S a little later, because I play most of my games on PC, and... I'm not going to be able to, I'm going to have to buy it again if I want to play it on the console. I mean, I could just play it on PC, but I still have to buy it again. So that's a little bit of a disappointment. I guess yeah. it's my fault for getting the inferior Series S. You know? <laughs> uh, the other thing is that you said that it's probably the best experience. I think a lot of people would, would like Fallout 4, people loved it when it came out. And over the years, people have gotten rougher on it and said that, you know, it wasn't as good a game as people remember. I remember enjoying it. I haven't gone back to it in a long time, but I wonder if that's the case. But I think a lot of people would say that New Vegas is the best experience still that you could get, even the in the old shape it's in, which is funny because I haven't played that game since pre-release. I reviewed that game in like whatever year it came out, 2010, 2011, from my old website. And I got a pre-release and there were so many bugs in it that it was unbelievable. Now, the, the game probably was good, but I couldn't tell. So when people talk about that game, I still have this like weird stigma of it that I can't shake because it was in such terrible condition when I played it that I'm just like, do I really want to go back? Maybe it's just me that didn't like it. Maybe I, maybe I didn't like the game, but I don't know. Yeah, I and I've 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 played Vegas to to completion, and I I totally understand that that's probably the one that sticks out in people's heads the most as as the superior one. But I don't think it's aged all that well, not no, in my opinion. No. Whereas right. Fallout Four, it's only seven years old. It's getting the update. I think it's still the most approachable today. Um, but yeah, no, I I think uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's Vegas is definitely the one people look most fondly on. Um, I put a lot of time in 76 too, and I know I, I just shit on that game, but I yeah. had a good time with it. I played mostly solo, so there's lots of good Fallout out there, but anytime we can see, um, you know, a a, a game that kind of was a little bit rocky, which Fallout 4 was at launch, yeah. um, kind of be brought back into the limelight, I think it's a good thing. So, And again, it's free, so why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's funny. It was 76. I played that uh, release week, uh, release day, actually. And I just had a terrible time with it. Not even all the all the bugs and the mess that it was, but uh, because they had something messed up or, or something, I was immediately getting like spawn killed right outside the vault uh, by other players because like I didn't have a setting on or off that I should have. Anyway, I just had a bad time with it. But then I played it maybe last year, early last year with uh, our buddy Justin and my friend Josh and... We had a really good time. I probably put like 20, 30 hours into it. But then some like high level player came along and was being really nice and generous and was like helping us and giving us all this free shit. And then I was like, well, now I have like end level gear. Yeah. I don't really care to play the game anymore. Like, what's the point? That happens so, a lot because that, that yeah. same thing happened to me. But um, I, I actually pre-ordered the game yeah. um, and got a beta code. And yeah. I played it for three or four hours and I canceled my pre-order. And this is, you know, I, I've always wondered why uh, companies do beta sometimes when they don't really need to. I understand there are technical right. test aspects to it, right. but in this case, it exposed how shitty your game was. And I don't, I'm sure a lot of people just like me canceled the pre-order. So yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a weird approach. I've, I've never really understood, but yeah. 
Pure Xbox reports this story, and the headline is Many Studios Are Struggling with Xbox Series S Requirements, Claims Developer. A VFX artist at Basa Studios has claimed that many developers, and that's many as in quotes, have been sitting in meetings trying to drop mandatory launch requirements for the Xbox Series S as the console has been causing issues. The tweets from Ian McClure, which are now private, but were originally transcribed by VGC, we're in response to a discussion about whether the Xbox Series S holds back next-gen games, which McClure, with McClure stating the following. The reason you're hearing it a lot right now is because many, in all caps, developers have been sitting in meetings for the past year desperately trying to get rid of the requirements. McClure went on to explain that developers have already wrestled with the Xbox Series S for the last couple of years, and now games are being targeted at next-gen consoles specifically, which is this gen, by the way. Uh, that he says that studios have been through one development cycle where Series S turned out to be an albatross around the neck of production, and now that games are firmly being developed with new consoles in mind, teams do not want to repeat the process. Uh, according to Pure Xbox, last week, Rocksteady's senior character technical artist Lee Diavanald also had some criticisms for the, X, for the Series S and now deleted tweets, claiming the games were being hamstrung by that potato. Uh, so, Dave, <laughs> you and I both have that potato. Uh, again, I don't do my primary gaming on it, so I probably don't have as as close of an insight as you do. And I know you have a PS5 and everything, too, but you play anything you play on Xbox, you're playing on the Series S. Do you think the criticisms are fair from a user perspective? Um, from a user perspective, I I think so. Um, I, I, I think anybody who goes out and purchases a series S, I would hope that they understand that what they have is, um, you know, but like a 1.5 upgrade from the previous, uh, sort of generation. So I, I hope they know that. Yeah. What, what really kind of interested me about this coming out now is it, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, um, but I'm wondering if it's a surprise to Microsoft because from what I understand, they have this requirement where if if games are coming to the Xbox Series X, they must also be compatible with the Series S. Like, I don't know if that's just for studios they own or if it's for third-party studios or what the requirement no, is. No, I'm pretty sure that is a requirement. For yeah. any studio making um, who wants to put a game on their platform. That seems to be the case. Uh, right. I know a little bit from the you know, the developer side of this. Um, now the games that the studio I work for Lily Moore makes don't really, it doesn't matter for us. Like we could put our games out on the Vita and they'd be just fine. Matter of fact, we'd prefer to, but Sony screwed us. But anyway, I'm pretty sure that one time I accidentally uploaded uh, the series X version of our game, which we didn't even need to do necessarily, but it had some nice features. And in the process, I like uncheck box, uncheck marked the box that said Series S. And they were like, hey, you need to recheck that box for the Series S. So you can do Series S without doing X. No, I don't know if that's true. Oh, it was Xbox One and then the Series consoles. So I think right. that there's only one checkbox essentially on the developer backend for S and X. I think it has to come out on both. Right. But the again, point is, be wrong on that. If, if you want to make a really cutting edge game, you also have to make a, either that game as a package has to be able to run on both or you have to have this down res sort of version that runs on the Series S. Um, and the reason I'm, I'm kind of saying this is because Microsoft had to know that this was coming and... I, I wonder what the strategy is um, sort of long-term on this requirement for developers because, you know, we're at a point where two or three years into this next generation cycle, we're going to have games that are really going to push the boundaries of, of what, you know, we, we think next gen is and people really want to see those games on the Microsoft ecosystem. But if you're going to hamstrung your developers with this requirement for the Series S, then we may never see those games. So right. um, again, it, it hurts me as a Series S owner. But as I said, I, I, I or as I have said, one of the reasons I got the Series S was so it would make it easier to get like the Xbox Series X Plus or whatever the mid-gen upgrade is going to be when it inevitably comes. So I don't need to have this thing fully functioning for, for five or ten years. But I really do wonder what that strategy is because I, I think Microsoft is smarter than that and maybe this requirement was designed to go away at some point soon um, because, you know, we really want to see that next-gen cutting-edge stuff now. Like, right. we really do. Um, yeah, I mean, 
again, I don't play all my games on it, and my perspective is certainly skewed. But I've not noticed anything from the uh, from the the player side, you know, the consumer side. But I've I don't really know what the developer side is like to actually try to get something on that. I mean, I know the GPU, the CPU is about the same, but the GPU is like tremendously lower quality or lower end than on the series x so i would imagine there's definitely some work that has to be done to get games working on it correctly it's funny though because one of the developers i saw that was criticizing it i'm like uh dude your your games don't need your games don't need anything this gen to run like i don't know why you're criticizing them because you're fine but for anything new then yeah they definitely have to have something a little bit lower lower quality in their builds that will work with it yeah, I, I, and games that come to mind, um, like Hellblade 2. Yeah. But seeing what we've seen from that game, I could see Ninja Theory having a hard time putting that game on the Series S the way they want it to be, which is loud, looks really good, runs at, you know, 60 frames. Um, and if, if you then suddenly have to compromise your quality so you can get it on the Series S, then that that's not really what you envisioned. Um, and then... The, the gamers suffer ultimately. So um, I, I I know when I first got Forza Horizon 5, one of the first things I did is I tried to turn on the performance mode that gives you 60 frames a second at a lower at a lower um, visual sort of fidelity, and it was unplayable. Oh, it, really? Okay. Not unplayable. I mean, the frame rate was great, but after seeing the visuals that you got in 30 frames per second, it was just like, I, I can't do this. Gotcha. Because okay. It, it looks so good, and I just, the trade-off was too much. So... Um, so I immediately flip my anything that has fidelity or um, in multiple modes or fidelity or performance. I always immediately flip it to performance, okay. so I don't see the fidelity mode. <laughs> and then, right. like like with Horizon uh, Forbidden West, at the end of it, I flipped it back to I, I like flipped it over to see the fidelity mode, and I was like, oh wow, this is really pretty. But I I couldn't imagine playing the whole game like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, hundred percent. All right, Dave. I think that's it for the news. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Unless I missed something. Did I miss anything? No, okay. no. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Okay. Um, I guess I'll start. Sure. I've been playing a lot this week. Oh, wow. Um, let's go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're getting into the nitty gritty uh, gaming season. A lot of good stuff is coming out. So I've, I've been trying to tie up some loose ends. Um, Forza Horizon 5, we've talked a lot, uh, a lot about this on uh, the last couple of weeks between myself and Brandon, um, I finally finished what is the, the campaign, I guess. Um, yeah. it's all sort of the main missions. Um, and I think about the way that game started. Um, I don't know if you remember the intro, Ben, where like they're dropping all these cars from planes in different like biomes and you keep like popping from one car. To it was just one of the most high octane introductions right. to a game I ever. And I, I that's what I expect from Forza Horizon. Um, and then I finished the campaign. And what you're trying to do the whole time is, is finish all these events and get into the Forza Horizon Mexico Hall of Fame. Um, so I finally did it and like, you're in the hall of fame they're like, you need to drive to this location and, and, and you're in the hall of fame. And I'm like, awesome. This is going to be so cool. Cause the intro was so good. Like we really got to send this out on a, on a high note. And you just drove up and, and like the girl says something over, you know, your radio. And then they're like, okay, go out and win more events. <laughs> so I'm like, that, yeah <laughs> man that sucked uh yeah, yeah so that was a great job do it again yeah not the ending i was hoping for but uh i mean i had my fun with forest horizon 5 i don't know if, if i'm gonna go back to play it uh okay. much uh anymore but uh yeah good game if you've got game pass just go check it out so it's a lot of fun just to mess around with um the other game that i finished was uh hellblade Sanua's sacrifice oh yes yeah, um, man, I'm I'm not gonna forget this game um, for a long time. It's uh, it was it was a really really different experience for me. Um, we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, really emotional. It's 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 got those um, you know a narrative that really focuses on mental health and psychosis and stuff like that. Um, but some of the stuff I didn't talk about last week uh, was. Um, I, I know I talked about the combat, um, uh -huh. but just the level design is it was so focused and so like linear and, you know, having played a lot of open world games lately where, you know, you're just 
wandering around and constantly being distracted by stuff like having this like really focused and linear experience was just so refreshing it's a five to seven hour game it's not going to take you long to finish at all um nothing in the game gets old because it's just it's just so brief and concise in a good way yeah um so i really really like that about it um the puzzles and stuff uh, I, I kind of thought at some point they were going to change up a little bit in the game. They never did. But again, it, it, it being such uh, a short package, um, they never got old. And all of the like puzzles were, um, they're all very like environmental where you have to stand in a specific spot and kind of look at something and either kind of reveal like a rune or like put together like a piece of the um, level. It reminded me a lot of uh, a game we reviewed several years ago, um, I can't remember the name of it now. Oh my god, Super Liminal. That's the oh one. yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah. The puzzles are all a lot like that, and and they don't really change throughout the game. Um, but again, they're they're complex enough where they didn't need to. But um, the last thing that that I didn't really talk about last week that really hit home for me, especially when I finished the game, is the music in this game. Okay, um, the way some of the bookended sequences really kind of crescendo because of the music. It, it was just. Yeah, it was so cool. I kind of want to go back and play certain sections just so I can kind of listen to music and 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 fight the enemies and stuff and and all that. So, yeah, um, Hellblade. Uh, there's a sequel coming. There's no um, release date yet, but um, I'm sure it won't be too far off. Uh, if you've got Game Pass, I I I I understand a lot of people might try it and be like, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, the story is very. Um, I don't know. It's 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 tough to understand at times, and it's it's got parallels and stuff. But yeah, it's 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 a game I'm not going to soon forget. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice. I, I think I'm going to play when when God of War comes out. I'm definitely going to play it, and then after God of War, there isn't really. I mean, Callisto Protocol is is like I want to play it, but I don't know if I'm going to play it right away, kind of thing. Yeah. But other than that, I think I might play. Hellblade because yeah. I've been wanting to play it literally since it came out and yeah. tried it a few times. And every time I go to play it, I'm like, and eh, not right now. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, I think this will be the time I do have to shout out. Cause somebody in the discord, I can't remember who it was um, kind of reinforced that. Like if you play this game, you need to play it with headphones and oh, that yeah, is hundred percent on point. Um, it just enhances the experience so much. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It's it's worth checking out. Some people are going to hate this, but I play all my games with headphones. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. Now. Uh, last thing I've been playing is uh, I am um, an, uh, an activism shill and I pre-ordered Call of Duty Modern oh, Warfare 2. Yeah. So just yesterday I started to play the campaign. Um, so d- I, I, have you played the campaign at all, Ben? No, I, I don't know. I, no. I'll okay. probably be playing it Thursday. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of kind of talk online about this one just because the way that Activision has structured the launch of uh, Modern Warfare 2, we're getting the campaign a week early um, and then we're going to get, you know, the full multiplayer or, or most of the multiplayer without Warzone um, this Friday, um, which I think was a cool approach. It, it gives people a week to, you know, kind of satiate some of their Call of Duty um, sort of urges and hunger. Um, I think what a lot of people do is is when the game traditionally launches day one with multiplayer and campaign, they just go straight to the multiplayer, right? Um, and never touch the campaign. So I think doing this really helps to people see people to see what you know the developers have put a lot of work into. Um, nobody buys Call of Duty for the campaign, um, however. They clearly are not phoning in these campaigns. Um, I liked Vanguard's campaign. I really like Cold War's campaign. Um, and I'm, I'm having an okay time with Modern Warfare 2's campaign. It's a Call of Duty campaign. It, right. it is what it is. Um, there's a lot that's been going on. on you've probably seen it on Twitter, this, this Amsterdam level. Um, yeah. and how photorealistic and incredible it looks, right, and right. it absolutely does. It, it's it. This this game looks amazing. The gun feel is great. The audio is fantastic. Um, the story is a Call of Duty campaign story. Sure, um, you know it is what it is. Um, but I think they're kind of running out of ideas. Uh, I'm just over halfway through the campaign, and 
everything I've done bar for one mission has been kind of like, I've, you know, all gillied up. I've done this before in the AC 30 mission. (laughs) Um, And they seem to favor a lot of this, like slow moving, like rainbow six type corridor shooting where it's like, you're following somebody and, and it's, it's you tight corners and all that. And somebody's going to jump out at you and stuff. So I haven't really gotten too much of, of the big bombastic, like, Michael Bay kind of Call of Duty that I remember, but it's still good. It's, um, you know, my favorite mission so far was one where you're uh, fighting with like Mexican special forces and you're running like down the side of this hill while all of, you know, the army and the narcos and stuff are coming behind you. And it was just really well put together and, and the pacing was good. But, um, but again, um, you know, I didn't buy Modern Warfare 2 for the campaign, but uh, I'm having an okay time with it. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine. Nice. Yeah, I know Brandon uh, finished it last week and he said he really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to it. I've had some other friends who have said that they they thought it was really good. And then I've seen some feedback online, too, that says like both. It says it's really good. It's the best campaign in years and others that say like it's not good. And so I'll, I'll figure out where I'm at. I never, like you said, I never play Call of Duty for the campaign, but I usually at least enjoy the five or six hours I spend with it. I to, to your point, I really thought that Cold War was a good campaign and most people did not. And I really thought that Vanguard was a bad campaign. And I think that that reception is a little bit more mixed. So we'll see. Yeah, so I'm in the minority when it comes to Vanguard, but it's yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I talk about it the way I do because I'm anticipating multiplayer. But right. I've also on the flip side, like I've played multiplayer own only releases of games and it's something I miss. Right. Um, one of the reasons I haven't you know, jumped into 2042 is I'm like, if I don't like the multiplayer, there's literally nothing for me. So um, it's nice to have it there. And again, it looks fantastic. It's, 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 it's a great way to get a feel for the gun. So um, yeah. And caveat, I haven't finished it yet. So maybe my opinion will change next week, but uh, yeah. You're definitely going to play multiplayer with me when it comes out. No, I'm deleting it as soon as I'm done the campaign. Damn bro. That's cold. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'll be on Friday. We'll, we'll have a good weekend for sure. All right, man. Sounds good. Uh, let's see for me, I've been really busy this week with, um, some house stuff and things like that. So I have only got a couple games under my belt. The first one is overwatch Two. I'm still playing a lot of overwatch. That's mostly what I've been playing, honestly. And so, uh, I don't really have a lot new to say about it other than that. I'm still enjoying it. Now, once call of duty comes out, will I be still enjoying it? Probably not. I'll probably be switching over to Call of Duty and not playing Overwatch again for a few months at least, but we'll see. The other that I actually want to talk about, I think I had just started playing this game the day we recorded last, and I'd only done like maybe 20 minutes. So I didn't really have anything to say about it, but it's called Vampire Survivors. And apparently this game has been kind of in the zeitgeist for a while. People have been talking about it, but I heard about it from Dustin. He mentioned it to me and said that like, just play it. You, you will like it. Like he knows what kind of games I like. And I'll tell you what, Dave, this game is uh, not not the kind of game that I would have expected to be so popular because it is a top down run, like run and gun. I don't know, like you're constantly firing your weapons, auto fire, and it's a it's a bit of a roguelike. So you're you're running around and all these mobs are coming at you and as you progress you level up you pick up new weapons new specials uh, new abilities more health all that kind of stuff and while you're running around your weapons are just auto firing and your goal is basically just to survive hence the name vampire survivors and the game is like crack uh, from what I know of crack and that and by that I mean you can't stop <laughs> I, have no, I have no personal experience with crack I'm sure that the people who have been addicted to crack would disagree with me but I just can't like once you start playing you're like one more run and then an hour and a half later you're like shit I, I spent too long on this and uh, I'll tell you what it's it's an interesting game uh, because it started out from what I've read on a browser. It was a browser game and they initially, you know, ported it and ported it. And right now it's only on PC. They just had their official release, like their 1.0 release last week. And I think the game only cost on Steam $3.99 and it's on Game Pass for PC right now. So it's really cheap. And it's just addictive. There's cool sounds when you do good stuff. There's, you know, lots of 
things that light up on the screen and trigger those <laughs> little connections in your brain that that promote uh, produce dopamine and I say anybody should give it. I had the thought this week, man, if I had a Steam Deck, I could be playing this game when I'm not at my computer. And that's when you know you have a problem. Sorry. So you're shooting vampires? Uh, no. You are Maybe. a vampire? No. No. I don't really understand. There's no story to the game. <laughs> I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to ascertain if, if the vampires have guns. Uh, no one has a gun per se. There's no, okay. Okay. Sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah. There are just different kinds of like, there's a whip that, you know, is like a kind of a larger area that you can destroy. And there's like uh, these holy crosses that you send out. I think you're running from vampires, but I haven't. Oh no, there are vampires. Yeah. Okay. So there are vampires. I was just thinking about it a little more, uh, but you're not a vampire. You're not and a if, vampire. And if okay. I'm wrong here, it's because the game doesn't have a story. I don't That's know. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Sometimes no less is more, right, Ben? It's it's up for interpretation. Dave, this game will one million percent run on your PC. <laughs> hook up a you don't even need to hook up a controller, honestly. You could play it with the uh the arrow keys on your keyboard. Um it's on Game Pass for PC, which you should I think you have if you have Ultimate. Yeah. Or you just have regular Game Pass. No, I have I have Ultimate. Okay. Yeah, if you have Ultimate, just download it. It's like six meg or something like that. I don't know. It's it's incredibly small and it's a lot of fun. And okay. I think it will be on P- it will be on Xbox relatively soon, if I had to guess. And honestly, this is the kind of game that could run like you could play this. You could download this from the Apple App Store, honestly. Uh, okay. But this is better than anything you've downloaded on the Apple App Store. Cool, I like it. Yeah. So that's it. That's all I got. That's all you got too. That's all I got. Pour one out for Brandon. I'm sure Pour he's one okay. Out for Brandon, yeah. Or he might he, be dead like Phil. I'm not really sure. Uh, I think Brandon is less likely to get dead like Phil did. Well, we, we talked to it? Phil today and he did confirm that he's still dead. So he did uh, confirm that. Yeah. So yeah. we have to believe him. Um, he literally said, no, I am still dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a shame. Uh, I guess. I mean, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't mention that earlier, but if you've stuck around this long, you probably like the show. And if you like the show, maybe you'll help support us over uh, patreon.com slash handsomephantom. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month, get ad-free early access to the show. You can bump up your support if you want, but we, uh, you know, a dollar would be great. It helps us pay for things. And then whether you're a, dis- whether you're a Patreon member or not, uh, you can come on over to the Discord and hang out with us. And uh, we need some people there with actual good opinions every now and then. So if you come on over to handsomephantom.com slash discord, we'll be waiting with open arms for you. That's all I got, Dave. Let's get out of here. Have a good one. Bye. The HP podcast is brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash handsomephantom. Thanks to our producers, Grabalicious, Christian Snow, Rainick. Chris Bylock, Derek O, Nuke Dukum, Brian Parrott, Htrons, Maurice Bays, Passive Pixels, Edwin Castillo, Boots, Poot, Jared, Josh Cummings, Edward Walton, Charles Peterson, Toby Ryland, Wormhats. <laughs>